Graham, Ann Arbor. This is Kurt Elling. Don't touch that dial. Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Kate Payne is joining us via phone. Kate, the writer of The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen, a hit-the-ground-running approach to stocking up and cooking delicious, nutritious, and affordable meals. And we've got the Liz um, engineering behind the glass for us. Kate, welcome to Living Writers. Thank you for having me. Happy to be on. <laughs> well, well, thanks for taking a break out of your your tour because um, right now, currently, you're doing the West Coast part of the tour. And um, is it true? I think I missed you because I was out of town when you actually came to Ann Arbor because you've already done your East Coast and Midwest part. Yes, I was. Um, my mid my only Midwest appearance was in Ann Arbor, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, and it was on, like, May 24th, and it was at Literati, and it was such a wonderful event, such a great store. Oh, isn't it, though? And I've got my Literati uh, uh, tote bag here with, um, yeah. <laughs> so it is, it's a, it's a great, a friend of the show as well. And, and so, and your, is your grandmother um, f- living in Ann Arbor? Was there some she family lives- connection? There is. My grandma lives actually in Marshall, Michigan, so that's about an hour and 15 minutes, as you probably know, um, I think to the west of Ann Arbor. Otherwise, you'd be in the Great Lakes. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think my, my geography is correct here. Um, but, yes, yeah, so she lives in Marshall, and she came to the signing in Ann Arbor, and we had a really nice time. Is, uh, is, lots of other family, too. And is this the grandma that um, your book is dedicated to? Indeed it is. Uh, this is Grandma Manny, uh, <laughs> but her nickname is Bertha Burnham. And you can only imagine, um, well, I'll give you a picture here. My mother was 18, year old, 18 years old and had moved out of the house before she knew that dinner rolls were not supposed to be black on the bottom. <laughs> the artisan's touch. <laughs> yes. So Bertha Burnham has a long history of... Um, adding the artisan touch to things. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Kate, I, she must have been so proud um, to see you there at Literati and, um, yeah, and, and the book and everything that you're doing right now. It seems like um, your, your work right now in life is making things a little bit maybe easier to navigate for, for others so that they can maybe achieve a dinner roll without like a singed edge sans artisan touch that is not necessarily that salt crusted top that you're looking for (laughs) well well kate before we go any further i'm just going to read the short bio from the back of your book the hip girl's guide to the kitchen um this is just out this may um with harper collins 
Kate Payne is a former nanny, after-hours poet, occasional painter, and writer. She is the founder of the Hip Girls Guide to Homemaking website, author of the Hip Girls Guide to Homemaking, and a frequent contributor to Edible Austin magazine, AOL's Kitchen Daily, and a number of DIY, decor, and cooking websites. She teaches classes at culinary institutions and Whole Foods Market. So, Kate. That is me. Yeah, it's you. And you're speaking to us right now from Portland, Oregon, um, midway on the West Coast tour. And your wife and dog were in Oakland, and are they driving up the coast now to meet you? They are not. They stayed put. They decided to get do a little getaway in Yosemite, and so oh. they're camping and enjoying themselves. I just saw a photograph from my wife's a documentary um, photographer, and I saw the documentation of the current events in her life, which are um, cooking breakfast and lunches and dinner by this raging river um, somewhere near Yosemite, not in the park, park proper. Um, but we decided that we'd save a little bit of time. My last book, uh, when it when my last book came out, we drove down the coast as far as San Francisco. So now we're kind of covering the other direction up, and she stayed put. Uh, and with the dog, what kind of dog do you guys have? She's a Jack Russell Chihuahua plus other like Dachshund mix. There's there's an array of breeds in her and. Um, Probably shockingly, she's pretty mellow and just likes to sleep a lot. She's very good at licking, mm. licking and cuddling are her strongest suits. Wow, because I was going to say, I bet she's feisty, but yeah, okay. <laughs> she's a, a sweet girl by the sounds of it. Well, she's a very great, she's a supporter of the home and kitchen arts um, so far <laughs> on the road. She's the, the tour mascot so far. So, so might there be the hip girl's guide to sort of, um, all things pups in the future, like sort of treats and uh, oh, uh, pup adventures so or, yeah. <laughs> so many ideas. Um, I have yet to consider that one, but now oh. I can add that to the consideration <laughs> yeah. list. Oh, I'm sure. Is that, that must be one of like the most annoying things. Does everyone say, oh. and now you can do the hip girl's guide to fill in the blank. No, I'm, it's it's the plan, you know. I mean, it's the plan to, to decode things that are life moves, you know, things that happen to you um, where there's a, a million and one people telling you all different ways of doing it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my approach to take a friendly, you know, here's what I've learned, here's what I understand this all to mean um, approach. And so I, I think one of the, the, in the hopper, though not possibly the very next book I write, um, I would really like to write the Hip Girl's Guide to Making a Human or Having a Kid. Um, but we have to work on that project yet, so I'm not going to jump the gun. Yes. Wow. Okay. Definitely some behind-the-scenes work. Yes. Yes. That's excellent, Kate. That's really excellent. <laughs> um, well, so how – I well, you mentioned sort of mm, – like what your plan, like the mission for these books, like how you envision them. And, and I would say that, um, you've definitely got it because the, the voice in the guide to the kitchen, definitely, it's so friendly and funny and smart and, um, definitely sort of that you can do it. Like, look, I, I can do it or I've figured it out or decoded it. And here are some ways you can too. But um, Thank you. but also Thank not you. not at all like um, hmm. it's inspiring and thought provoking without feeling like you're being 
taught a judged lesson or, or judged. Yeah. 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 Or like you ought to be doing this and if you're not then you know no good or something. Oh. I feel like these books when I first started when I envisioned them I didn't I wanted to offer something that was a non-judgmental um kind of where you're at go from there type guide because it it there's so many things out there that are very informative or definitive in in so many ways but when you get to when you encounter something that's intimidating to you um that's rarely the voice that you want talking to you that's true yeah or you might look at it once but it's not something you would keep returning to which i feel like your the hip girl's guide to the kitchen is something that you could dog ear and return to thank you in that book i i really or in this current book, I really um, hope to become your kitchen friend, you know, someone to just chat with at various stages, wherever you're at, um, what, you know, whatever you're looking to read um, about or learn about or incorporate into your kitchen routine or kitchen cycle. Um, so I, I, I looked at it not so much as a cookbook, though, though there are some recipes in there. I really just want people to feel like like there's someone there to chat them through something for their approach, whether it's stocking up or whether it's like attempting a French custard ice cream recipe for the first time. (laughs) Which does sound intimidating, but, (laughs) but Hey, and so your website too, let's talk a moment about that because people can also see video clips of you maybe talking them through canning some Meyer lemons or, Yes, there are some videos in there. I'm pickling, I believe. There's um, folding a fitted sheet because, you know, maybe you don't have a linen closet and you have to put your linens in a tub under your bed or somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, and sometimes you actually need to fold it to fit, you know. So the, the, the crumpled up ball can be fine if it's fine with you, but if you want to fold the fitted sheet. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a handful of videos. This is uh, hipgirlshome.com. And so there's a video area. There's also a hip tricks uh, region of the site where I store all of the emails. I send out a monthly email when I'm not on manuscript deadline or on a book tour. Uh, once a month, I send out a hip trick to people on my email list. And so I, I archive the emails <clears throat> and the hip tricks, the hip helpful home or kitchen projects that you can accomplish without a whole paycheck or a whole day. Um, as as indicated in the book by the little yard sale tags throughout. Yes, um, so smart. So those just little helpful things that are just quick and easy or that might revolutionize whatever it is you're doing. And you're not um, kidding when you say revolutionize either because I, I loved the hip trick for the warm white wine when faced with a dinner party and maybe you forgot to put the, the wine in the fridge or a guest brings a warm bottle. That hip trick was... Definitely an ice bath with half a cup of kosher salt, I think. Um. Right, yeah. <laughs> Drop the temperature. You can get even colder than ice water with, <laughs> with salt. It's amazing. So how- and it's a little science, you know. I mean, it's kind of cool science that you can then, you know, explore or talk about with kids or, you know, just start discussions. And how, okay, so how did you find that one? I think with that one, um, I was poking around... The, I think it was a Cook's Illustrated, um, a Cook's Illustrated magazine. The, in the back of their um, magazine issues, they have really cool illustrations of various tips and things. And some of them are 
crazy, and some, but some of them are, you know, supremely helpful, um, as are uh, some of their uh, publications and resources. So you've got the Test Kitchen and Cook's Illustrated um, helping to decode things from a science uh, way as well. And so, as a good so when you were looking at it, when you say crazy, what do you exactly mean, Kate? Well, um, the, oh, the like some of the tips, you know, maybe aren't necessarily helpful. Though, <laughs> you know, you can, uh, you know, I don't know, shell. A, I'm, I'm not even speaking from experience here, but you know, possibly, you know, de-skin a mango in 30 seconds or <laughs> something. It's like I don't necessarily need to, nor I didn't think I needed to, but maybe if I had a flat of mangoes, like I would do some sort of tip or trick that I found in there to like de-skin them all very quickly. Um, rarely am I encounter, do I encounter more than one mango in a week. So I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine slowly working away at it. <laughs> fine for now. But if, yeah. yeah. But if anyone has any tips on that, no, no. I guess Cook's <laughs> Illustrated does, though. That is kind right. of amazing. I, I, I love that you also said that I think from um, one of them that you had this Fanny Farmer Boston Cooking School cookbook from 1896. Is is that the one that your wife bought for you on the day you were married? Is that that book? No. This no. was an herb, an old herb cookery book, though. It was the, the one she bought me. Oh, okay. Was, um, I'm, I'm of the camp. There are two camps, and I'm, I'm really of the joy of cooking camp. So Fanny Farmers oh. um, d- has contributed a lot of, you know, the Boston Cooking School method and all this stuff is very um, important in many people's lives, but I'm of really the other side of the, I'm of the joy of cooking, the Irma Rombauer and Marion Rombauer Becker family of cooking, um, which is methodology and recipe-wise totally different, which I'll get into just one moment, but Joanne bought me the, um, this is beautiful little herb cookery book on the side of the road in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We were walking to our after the city hall or the the clerk the the clerk's office wedding um we were walking to a beer garden where we were hosting a bunch of friends and i saw that on the side of the road and i was like i want this i must have this and she like like, let's take it oh (laughs) it meant to be definitely yeah and it has all of these wonderful um very simple uh, turn of the century type ways of infusing liqueurs and using herbs in lots of different ways. So I'm really I'm impressed with this book, and I'm glad to have had it. You must have some bookshelf actually, but but Kate, let's take let's take a short break, and then when we come back, maybe we, let's talk a little bit about the joy of cooking camp versus the Fanny Farmer camp because I have never oh, yeah. heard of that, and that sounds really interesting. Okay, so all right, we'll take a short break um, today on the program, Kate. Payne is on Living Writers. Her book, The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Tag bags 
a glacier melting down when you were gone for good. I didn't know you were here for now. Saber tooth tiger. Saber tooth tiger. Good afternoon. Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Kate Payne joins us via phone from Portland, Oregon, where she's in the midst of her book tour for the Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen. Um, we just heard a great song, Sabretooth Tiger by Breathe Out Breathe. Um, Kate, you picked all the, the music for today's program. Um, can, yes. can you tell us a little bit about this one? That one, I've, I, um, I guess I've been onto this band for maybe five or six years now and that's just that particular song has always stood out as one of my favorite songs um both for the way it sounds and then just for the kind of goofiness of that there's a saber-toothed tiger walking (laughs) around um you're not from around here (laughs) and you know and that could be like you know not an actual obviously saber-toothed tiger but just anybody kind of coming on in and think, oh, you're not from around here. It's my new favorite song, Kate. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad I could spread the good word. They have some other great albums, too. And the Liz was was very pleased when she saw that one was on the list of songs. She said, "Wonderful." this Kate Payne is going to be great. So, um, <laughs> so if we didn't know already from the book, it was it was Uh-oh. clear. It was it was clear. So, um, so Kate, what about... Um, Tell us about these two camps, the Joy of Cooking Camp and the Fanny Farmer Camp, and the methodology and recipe. Yeah. So the the advent of what became the home ec movement, you know, was really. Um, I there's a really wonderful book out there. There's a bunch of wonderful books, but um, Laura Shapiro wrote a book called Perfection Salad, and she really goes into great detail about the the start of the home arts and home ec movements throughout time. And the Boston Cooking School was sort of one of the the first most organized um, types of things to show people how to cook stuff and to kind of corral what was a traditional art that you just learned by standing around with someone who knew how to do it um, and to teach people through the settlement homes. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the settlement home organizations, but they're... They were places for either um, immigrants or people that then, I think, lower income and then people that just needed help um, throughout time. So I'm, I'm not an expert on that, so please feel free to chime in. Or No, no, I'm... I'm listeners, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, d- don't <laughs> worry, listeners it's can not... write in and discuss the settlement home. I would love that. Okay. Um, but anyway, the Boston Cooking School uh, really standardized recipes. You know, this, that format that you and Fanny Farmer was at one of the like the the the, the, 
the, the big heads of the movement, you know, and she became the face of the Boston Cooking School for sure. So she's a real person. A real yeah. Fanny. She's a real person. She is not Betty Crocker. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Betty Crocker is not a real person. <laughs> and did, when did you find that out, Kate? Because I didn't know that. When I read another of Laura Shapiro's books, I'm a big fan of Laura Shapiro. I met her in Austin when she came for a conference, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I like, I love all of your work. Um, historian, women, historian of women things. Um, women things, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, so the, Laura's the technical book, term. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Laura's book, uh, what is it called? Something from the Oven. Um, let me in on the, and it's like why the 50s food was so horrible oh. and like took such a turn and, you know, socio-politically um, world things going on, you know, just all the stuff that kind of played into why we ended up with like jello and mayonnaise salads and stuff. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> yes. And so Betty Crocker, I learned, was, was just this fictitious person that they wanted, you know, to, to embody the, the spirit of this baking or recipe, you know, the, the cake mixes that they were putting on the market and, and then everything else from there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so around uh, in the, I guess, 30s and 40s, so that the Boston Cooking School method is the, the recipes are written with ingredients up top, and how much of them, very precise. You're supposed to have your mise en place, your everything measured out and level scoops and everything must be to the T, follow the recipe. Um, and then the, the the methodology is below the ingredients. So pretty much yeah. a very standard recipe format that most everyone uses today. Um, but that's most everyone, not the joy of cooking. So Irma Rombauer was a novice home cook. She was a great baker. She was a great um, – she she had definite skill set that she was her household special project coordinator like I am. She didn't she, – she cooked the other meals but with gusto uh, in just throwing stuff together for the sustenance meals. Um, and in the special projects, she really – she really thrived. She, you know, made a mean coffee cake or baked up a storm and, um, you know, these, these wonderful additions to meals, but not necessarily the meal itself. Yes. Yes. Um, and so her, she really took a, a populist, populist approach to cooking and recipes and really understood people and understood that these were, um, women who were now in the home, and didn't grow up learning besides anybody knew who knew how to cook. They maybe had servants up until um, the, the post-war era, and so no one really knew what they were doing, but then they were sort of forced due to financial concerns to, they were going to have to, they couldn't have any servants anymore or something was going on, and this is sort of the general nature of how the 50s were evolving, 40s and 50s. Um, and so... And so she wrote recipes with the steps that you do and the amount and ingredient of what you need bolded in bold-faced type within the recipe when you need it. Mm. So it's like this magical thing for people like me who have such trouble following directions, and especially when what you need is listed way up at the top right. and then you're in, 
in the heart of the heat of matters, and then all of a sudden you're like, put the sugar in. What, how much? And where is it? And I, I didn't measure it out in advance because I'm not like that. And <laughs> right. So I just was, yeah, I was just bumbling around in the kitchen prior to discovering that something like the joy of cooking existed. And I was like, wow, this is like for people like me who, you know, are just trying their best and maybe have a short attention span <laughs> and. And um, and I and this is the book that when I moved in with my now wife with Joanne, uh, this book was on our uh, shelf in Brooklyn, and I had never encountered it before. But my mom was busy; she was like on a plane or something when I was cooking a chicken, and I'm like, "What is the temperature? What do I need to cook this to?" <laughs> so I consulted this joy of cooking and instantly fell in love and I fell in love with Irma's style and her family members has have successively edited and added added to it since the first publication in like 1931 or something and, but, the, um, and then there was one was it Marion was like one of the other family members that because are they still because um, there's new additions that are coming out right yeah Kate? so yeah Marion is her daughter and and joined the project I think maybe 10 years in, and I, there's an, another excellent book that I adore. Um, Ann Mendelson wrote a book called Stand Facing the Stove, <laughs> and it's the, the history of the joy of cooking and the ladies and family members that since who have brought it to the world. Um, and Ann Mendelson's work is just wonderful, too, another historian of other things, not just lady things. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, well, so this, so I love also how you said that it sounds like your mom was one of like, was the phone call where if you needed to consult someone about a cooking thing, you would just do a quick call to her, get the answer. And then maybe even if you're like me, just after the moment, even forget it, even for the next yeah. time, but you could always totally. call until then suddenly she was on the plane. So <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what is this? I need you. And, and she, she's very, um, I, I grew up in with two parents in the restaurant business, so she was very knowledgeable about safety and structural stuff. You know, I always just called her about, like, temperatures and whatever. But, you know, had I called her about my French-style ice cream method, she would have been like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So there was a certain point where um, I grew into to kitchen stuff that she was unfamiliar territory. And it's really sweet, actually, because we've – almost traded roles. I, she sends me <laughs> messages now periodically. She's like, can I bake this in my convection toaster oven? And if so, at what temperature? <laughs> like, it's really, it's really cool, like, to be answering my mom's questions now. Right. That's when you know you've, you've kind of, you've made it in this, uh, <laughs> you know, this guide realm, right? It's, yeah, yeah. that's really, yeah. that is lovely, Kate. And then, well, for for a quick moment, are you so are you going to read at Powell's tonight? Are you doing what's the tour look like? So if people are listening, are there places um, if people are listening out west, they could come and catch up with you? Um, so I'll actually be at another independent bookstore here in Portland called Annie Bloom's Books, and it's in the southwest quadrant, I believe, in the Portland quadrant system. Yes, um, and then. Uh, I actually head back to Oakland tomorrow. I'm teaching a fermentation demo uh, in the evening in Oakland on Thursday. And then uh, from there, I'll be in San Francisco at Omnivore Books over the weekend. I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'm excited about all of my events. Uh, don't get me wrong. And, and then 
we head back toward Texas, we point our car east again, and um, I have an event in Phoenix at Changing Hands Bookstore on June 30th, and then at uh, Bookworks in Albuquerque on July 1st. Wow, that that sounds like some trip. So you've got yeah. a, a lot ahead. And so right now, is the is the blog a little bit? Do you um, when you're on the road, um, are you taking a rest with a blog right now, Kate? You know, I have um, some some posts scheduled throughout my travels, and I write for Edible Austin. I have a column in there, and I've decided that, I, or I realized that many of my articles that I've published with Edible Austin, um, I didn't bother to alert my blog readers that those recipes exist and are available for free on the internet. Um, so I have a handful of posts that um, during the first month of my tour. I guess we've just rounded out a month of, of travels, um, both east, midwest, and, and all over. Um, but in the first month, I was doing pretty well um, scheduling those posts to go up, and you just reminded me that I should probably put up another one this week, because <laughs> they're all ready to go. And this would so be that's the hip, joy of blogging. And this would be hipgirlshome.com. This is hipgirlshome.com. And, and people could find, I think, rhubarb margaritas, too, there. Yes, you can. Yes, you you can. can find rhubarberitas um, as imbibed when I was visiting my friend in um, the middle of New York State. Heading, I was heading to Boston, and I took a pit stop and and rested the night and, and everything. Um, and we drank rhubarberitas and had a campfire, and it was wonderful. I, you just have to keep saying that for the rest of the show, the name of that drink. Just, but Kate, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll come back, okay? So Wonderful. Um, you've got living writers today on the program. Kate Payne joins us from her, her book tour from Portland, Oregon, The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll, we'll be right back. Hey, babe, would you like to get some goats with me? Start a little farm, no need for a line. Get some chickens and horses. Welcome back. You've got living writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Kate Payne, The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen, a hit-the-ground running approach to stocking up and cooking delicious, nutritious, and affordable meals. Um, Kate, thanks for joining us. When I mean, you're a month into this, this book tour. <laughs> and um, you, you still sound like... Um, You've got lots of energy left, so so keep going. <laughs> um, and uh, well, well, let's see. These music that that's a, my new favorite song now is the goat song. I don't mean to like dethrone "Breathe Owl Breathe" so soon with Sabertooth Tiger, but um, I would like to get some goats. 
this band is, they are actually some really good friends of ours. They also live in Austin, Texas. It's called the Carper Family. Um, and it's three amazing ladies that um, are so supportive of the work that we both do. And they've hired my wife to shoot photos for them and attended my pickling classes. And um, and they also played the the wonderful tunes at our wedding when we married in Austin with all of our friends and family. So it was such a, it was a real special, they're a special band. Oh, and do they, do they have goats? I know that maybe um, that's, that's a, that's not a question for today's show. Yeah. <laughs> One of them does like satellite type goats. Like they're, they're access to goats, but they, they travel so much. So oh, she didn't, yeah. yeah. It's, it would be unfair. It was just un- yeah, unfair to the goats. Unfair you know, I mean, goats. considering all they want to do is like eat lawns and things and <laughs> shrubs and and actually that's a this is a scenario uh we've got some poison ivy problems in austin and they've, uh, they've brought in goats to solve this problem goats which I'm, like, are very impressed with they are amazing goats can do yeah. anything and and the poison ivy doesn't hurt them so it's all right nope. you know it's just yeah. they're just they're intrepid they're yes, yes. under that's under a great word for goats underrated <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> goats. austin such a such a wonderful city such, yes. such a good place. It's, how did you guys choose it um, when you moved, or did it choose you somehow? It chose me initially, uh, and it chose Joanne dif- for different reasons, but I moved there right after college. I graduated from the University of Arizona in Tucson and headed to Austin because I had two very good reasons. One was a friend who had a baby there, not not too, uh, too much earlier than my move, and then I had... Um, a, uh, an ex there, so I was he was not an ex at the time, but uh, but yeah, so it was working out nicely. And then I just fell in love with the place. I really loved having, it, I, I really felt at home. I had not I moved all over and felt like I was pretty much a vagabond. I could mm-hmm. live wherever, and but I really felt a sense of home and connection in Austin. Oh, oh that's oh, well, that's a lovely. That's a good story, Kate. That's a oh. <laughs> Austin. Such it is such a great place. It's it's its own. Even though it's the capital, it's its very own thing, really. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and, and it's growing as are many cities, you know, and changing in lots of different ways. But I think if you just stay connected to what's really important about the place that you live and what makes you connected to it. It's not necessarily all the peripheral, like oh, we're getting not lots of tall buildings or. Californians or you know whatever it is right. like you you still have a lot of things that to feel like grateful about living you know in your city in the city and you and in a month you'll be back there Kate you will <laughs> after yeah. you go to Annie Bloom's tonight and Oakland and San Francisco and Phoenix and Albuquerque you'll you'll be back well okay so let's rewind a little bit to think about um I'm, I'm curious about your start like when you so you I'm thinking, did it start with the blog then, Kate, when you started, um, have you always, um, kept a notebook? Um, are you, were you, do you love to write? And then you started blogging or, or what happened? How did things start to ferment in your life that kind of led to this? (laughs) Good word choice. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Um, so yeah, things things started. Well, I um, have always I taught creative writing to kids in New York. Um, I've been a poet at my my 
core of what type of writing I choose, like I enjoy. Um, but I was really expanding my horizons and teaching kids to just choose, not just teaching kids poetry, but teaching kids, um, you know, to explore whatever genres. And I too was taking my own advice and not that nonfiction and poetry are very too far off, but, um, I found that there was some there was some part of me in in the process of making a home in New York after going from part time to uh, or full time to half time to then fully freelance um, up, upon moving to New York. I, I felt that I I was exploring the, the home arts in different ways, not in like a, a reveling in it in any way, but just deciding like, oh, how hard can this be to like make my gluten-free bread? You know, how mm. hard can it be to try making some jam? You know, like the the former, the bread that I used to purchase in Austin prior to moving to New York was this little doorstop of a loaf and it was not very <laughs> tasty, but if you toasted it, it was sort of passable. Um, and then all of a sudden we moved to New York. That same exact loaf is like $9. And I'm like, wow, that's that's a lot of money. We don't really have any money, so maybe I should try something else. Right. And, and I busted into the kitchen. Um, so I had, you know, some sort of creative writing background of um, – I didn't, I didn't do an MFA or anything. I studied anthropology in, in school but um, or even in the, my undergrad. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't pursue writing any longer, any further. Um, but then we moved, and and I started trying stuff out, and and I was really shocked. I was like, "Is this okay to like baking bread?" Like I enjoyed it. <laughs> I was enjoying myself, and it felt good to have a little. I was setting up a house, and without any money, and and just being really thrifty and creative, and writing about it in this blog. And I just really wanted to to use it as a sounding board. Is this acceptable and appropriate for a modern empowered woman to enjoy these types of things as well um and it turned out to be a a topic that other people supported me in writing about and when i envisioned writing about it for the world i didn't just think i'm going to write a blog and it's going to be cool i always wanted it to be a physical book oh. i think in in times of crisis you go to your bookshelf, or I, I go to my bookshelf, and I'm like, oh, I need to, like, touch something, you know, like maybe mm. the internet's broken, or your <laughs> smartphone died, or you dropped it in the toilet, or, you know, who knows, like something has happened, um, and you can't reach the outside world, but yet you have your bookshelf. Yes. God bless it. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, always, well, there will always be, for me, like the physical books, I'll be the dinosaur, you know, the saber-toothed tiger, I guess, with, yeah. <laughs> with the, the physical books. Um, and so, yeah, through the blog, I, I, ex- I explored topics and, and met a lot of canning and preserving folks uh, through, through a, a group of folks were doing a seasonal preservation challenge throughout a year like doing a water bath canning project with some sort of seasonal and collective ingredient and I met a handful of folks and just branched out and really started exploring um, after bread just exploring jam and pickles and things from a smaller batch perspective Mm. because that's what suits my lifestyle yeah you don't have to have a flat of mangoes Totally not. No, do not have to have a flat of mango. <laughs> you can make your chutney. And I mean, if you think about it, like I liken 
small, super small batch preserving, whether it's pickles or jam or whatever, chutney or anything, um, you know, start out, make, make a jar or so. And in the book, there are recipes for uh, any vegetable, vinegar pickles, or any volume of fruit you might have, even just a cup of blackberries. You can make a little jar of jam. Not often do you go to the farmer or go to the grocery store or farmer's market for that matter and need to buy nine jars at the same time. You know, like okay. you can just make the jam that you're going to eat. And then if you really want to explore and expand into larger batches, then you can do that. And that that is actually so key to actually feel like you have um, like a, a foot in the door for this, I think, and how you mm-hmm. present it, Kate. Yeah, I think just doing what you have with what doing all the different things you can do with what you have, you know, rather than um, someone described, a good friend described my my last book, Hip Girl's Guide to Homemaking, as more MacGyver than Martha. Right. And <laughs> I, I take to the kitchen in a similar attitude because, you know, we need to eat down our pantries. Like, I moved the same weird things that I've purchased right. over the years to, like, five different houses or apartments <laughs> or whatever to you know, to to realize, like, why did I even buy this? Like, why did I grocery shop as if I was purchasing the hot pink tank top that has sequins, you know, rather than some sort of mix and match type ensemble? <laughs> um, and then all I ended up with those wild card things, you know, that, you know, maybe make a pantry chopped challenge, you know, pull out of the weirdest things in the pantry and cook them down. But like you said, in your soup, right? And as long as you cook anything for 10 minutes, boil it rather, you right. should be relatively safe. Totally. Yeah. Unless it's got some like crazy, like, you know, <laughs> visual grossness, you know, going on. Then. <laughs> and that's science, right? 10 minutes yeah, of boiling. And that's why we're humans. Like we're like programmed not to eat things that are like gross and covered with all different colors of mold and things. <laughs> Unless it's cheese. Unless it's cheese, this is true. And who, what humans first paved the way with that, I don't know. But it's fascinating, I'm sure. Like, let's cover this with mold and then eat it in a little bit. (laughs) Another book. No, no, just kidding. Yeah. Hip Girl's Guide to Decomposition. (laughs) That would actually be brilliant, especially around Halloween or something like that. There could be. So, so when you had, so you said you always envisioned a book like that, that it would become like a book. And so now what is the vision that there's going to be like, like guides to many different things, right? Like, I think what you said at the top of the hour is, is that is part of the vision, isn't it, Kate? Yeah. Um, I think I'm still exploring what the market will hold for future books as well. Um, you know, initially in, in all of this, there was sort of a garden, idea that was like hip girl's guide to growing things you know um but there's a ton of garden books out there and a lot that already suit this market there's a great you know a lot of resources that i even mentioned in my first book so i think as i go along i'll just be evaluating what the market obviously will will do but um but you know a baby book is certainly in the in the cards if it all works out that i can create one um so yes yeah and, um, and then you know I just I think I have other ideas that may or may not be in the the hip girls guide series but um we'll have sort of a similar um 
you know, just nonfiction. And I even have, like, fiction ideas that I would love to explore. So those are kind of other projects in the hopper. In the, the copious amounts of, and this is, you know, obviously a joke, but all the, all the spare time <laughs> right. to explore. And, and when do you do, like, if you're not on tour, are you doing your writing? Do you have some sort of a, I don't know, try to write in the evenings or just sort of fitting really it in? To, I need to get back into a routine. Um, I think the mornings are better for me um, to to carve out some time. Because um, I really want to make it a priority to work on fiction and and the, the proposal for the other books that we've got with my agent and everything. Um, so so mornings are usually a, the better time for me to carve out, like between eight and ten, usually, mm-hmm. um, or which I've been using just to answer email. But I have other jobs. I have I work with the, one of the area farmers market groups in Austin, and. Um, I really enjoy working with them. It's definitely up my alley and all the things that I'm interested in and is a nice fit for my um, b- portion of income. So it's it's wonderful to work with them. And then I also write for various places and I do and I teach a lot. So I've got kind of a full platter of income generating things in in, in my field. Um, but not all of it is all writing. Uh, Kate, we're going to take a short break and then we'll come back um, for the the last quarter of the show. T- today on Living Writers, Kate Payne, The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did, because today on the program, Kate Payne is joining us via phone from Portland, Oregon, in the midst of the the whirlwind book tour for the, the Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen, a hit-the-ground-running approach to stocking up and cooking delicious, nutritious, and affordable meals. Um, and here's the hip girl herself, Kate Payne. <laughs> Here. <laughs> I know. Thanks so much for talking with me, Kate. Because um, 
Yeah, I know, from across the miles and, and over the phone. I uh, appreciate you taking the time um, to, well, this is great fun. To, to pick out some songs. What's your favorite pie? I am a rhubarb. I'm a Minnesotan heritage. This is my, my dad's family and um, mom's side, sort of Michigan, Minnesota-ish. So um, I'm a rhubarb pie kind of girl, and <laughs> but I'll eat any pie, and I love making pies. Um, I'm just that's, that became something that I didn't know was in my skill set until I just loved doing it, and I make them gluten free. I never I never knew. I never baked nor tried to bake anything. I made a cheesecake that was a bit of a harrowing experience um, prior to going gluten-free, but that's about all I ever baked. And so I've just evolved in my baking, and um, and I don't think it's too terribly hard or difficult, and I, I just I love it. And pies, just you have to be a, kind of a, a certain type of person to like, to like making pies. How is that? What do you mean? It's just a lot of... Like tech, like textural. Um, it's it's not something that you can easily just follow a recipe and complete. Like you have to understand what you're kind of going for with the dough. Um, mm. I think I, I advocate for people to make a pie with somebody who you don't even have to follow their recipe, perhaps, but you know, just make a pie with somebody to see what you're going for in terms of um, dough texture when you roll it out and then from there on out you'll be fine and you'll just know what you're looking for because um I didn't know for a long time and I made like crumbly weird pies forever and then I'm like oh I started to just nail it just by accident (laughs) and then um and then I but I didn't give up I think that's the most important thing whether you're making pies or you're having your first shot at fermenting something you know if, if it doesn't your first time at anything might not be super smooth or feel exactly right but if you keep at it you've already got this whole experience before you to to guide you in your next attempt well now i feel inspired i um part of my family chloe is a pie maker so i'm going to ask her to help me make a pie (laughs) yeah it's great fun to do with somebody you know, and just to talk to them, I mean, while making pies, you know, it's this, like, experience. And and uh, there's a poet out there who came through. She toured around. Now I'm forgetting where she's based. Um, that on me. But her name's Kate Lebo, and she just put out a book Ooh. of poems, and it's she toured around, and she has a group also called Pie School. <laughs> so it's about the community surrounding pie and pie social and just come together around pie. That's wonderful. That's that's yeah. a, that's it. That's it sounds good to me, actually. But, you know, before we went to the break, Kate, um, you were talking about the different things that you do, like when you became fully freelance and then the parts like how you work, like and the things like the classes, the books, the website, like these different pieces that um, that are in your field. And, and that strikes me as remarkably brave, like as a way to um I don't know, like to strike out and and then be open, it seems like, to to what comes and see your opportunities and open to your own visions. Um, like, I can't take all the credit for that. Um, oh, reason. go on. Go you on. Know, upon being, moving to New York, I had, I had intended to, I was launching my freelance career, which meant some freelance grant writing, which meant some 
teaching creative writing to kids. But when, we moved there when the, in 2008 when the stock market crashed, and it was a pretty terrible time for everything. And I couldn't even find a full-time regular job. Um, and so I really had to get creative, and I took on all sorts of projects like walking dogs, nannying, um, as I was building my grant writing clientele at the time, and uh, you know, and, and and it hadn't even. I was just entering the kitchen at that point, so teaching and doing other things in the like food or whatever type realm were just not even on the table. Um, but it was a it was a time that I feel like I got. It was. A, I, I I look at the home and I'm like, oh, this is the final exam for everything I've ever learned. That's like thrifty or putting things together <laughs> in a way that doesn't mean just going out and buying a bunch of plastic stuff. Um, yes. And it turns out it's kind of a fun challenge, you know. And it's a fun challenge to piece together income in a similar way because if you don't get the option, you know, many kids are graduating from college now, and there's not like the entry level jobs either. You know, like either there are not that many of them or it, you just have to get more creative with your income. And you can do it. You're here to say yeah. also don't I I don't know. This is great. Don't give up. Don't don't just stop when you make a crumbly pastry. Keep going. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And don't be discouraged when you try to do stuff that's within your what you see as your skill set or your passions you know I think it's just expand your horizons like I love kids I love the the idea of like the I love teaching them writing workshop type stuff I love but I also love working with them and you know when I was nannying like we were walking around and learning I was learning the plants and like teaching them and you know looking to what we could forage from around responsibly of course but you know like these are plums you know and like you didn't even know on your street corner there's this plum tree and nobody in your else in your neighborhood knows it and just you know interesting things that like finding ways to make your life what it what you want it to be but like where where it's at you know if you have to do some odd jobs finding a way to make that interesting and exciting and meaningful yeah that's that's true exactly because surprisingly enough i feel like that's one of the things that i i'm getting from your book the hip girl's guide to the kitchen which ostensibly you wouldn't think um you're going to be walking away <laughs> feeling like there's all these like meaningful life lessons but in a way it's like there's things about like you're saying awareness that there might be a plum tree on your corner and that's mm. that's a really real um that's a thing to cultivate it seems um yeah talk about yeah. the joy of cooking <laughs> cooking up your life <laughs> yes Yes, because, I mean, all, aren't we all just combining ingredients and hoping for the best and, you know, <laughs> experiencing some flops and some <laughs> some things that just go exceedingly well? And, you know, and it, I don't know. I think there's there's a lot. Like, I think the kitchen's such a really important place. Um, it comes with a lot of baggage and a lot, you know, over time and, and soci, uh, like societal visions and, and expectations and pressures, but there's also a lot to, to be said for taking it back and making it, making it work for you. Yes. And not feeling like it, it isn't for you because of those, like whatever stereotypes or, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, we can't just erase history and things, but, but, you know, your approach to things and your attitude 
moving forward and, and within, it's like that's that's what's going to dictate what you feel in the kitchen, you know, and, and making it a team effort or a roommate effort or, you know, in, just finding ways to in, invite people in and do things in the kitchen rather than becoming like the chore um, of the kitchen. Yes. Well, hallelujah, Kate. And okay, so I know we probably only have a, a couple more minutes left here. Do you have any like summer tips for us, like any hip tricks for summer or seasonal thinking in the summer? Um, so I just taught a class. Um, is it still strawberries around there? Yes. Strawberries still yeah. happening? Y- yes. Um, well, and throughout your summer berries, you know, if you have any tops of your strawberries, just toss them in a um, pitcher of water, stick it in the fridge, and serve strawberry water, or the shavings of an organic cucumber, um, throw that in there too, and you'll flavor water, you'll have like a delicious, um, refreshing beverage, like at a dinner party, or just on a hot summer day, and you're like, oh, this is a deliciously tasty way to use trash. Yeah. I love that. Instead of, yes, because I think I also need to compost. So that would actually help me feel less guilty about my strawberry tops and cucumber rinds immediately. Right, you get one more use before you compost them. Yes. (laughs) And and so, Kate... um, We'll just quickly mention then where you're headed next. So tonight in Portland, you're going to be at Annie Bloom's. Um, yes. Then you're heading to Oakland. Um, and then, let's see, San Francisco with Omnivore Books. Um, yes. Then Phoenix. At Changing Hands. At Changing Hands. And in Albuquerque at Bookworks. Great. So these, and then, let's see, and you're going to be meeting up with Joanne and, and your pup soon. Yes. Um, and you can see via Instagram all of this at Hip Girls Guide, all of the, the, the rest of the tour travels. Okay, Hip Girls Guide, and then also hipgirlshome.com. Yes, for, on the blog. For the and then I have katepain.net for details on events um, and schedule and all that good stuff. Oh. Well, well, Kate, thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me today and for joining us here via phone from Portland, Oregon, on, on the midst of this tour. Um, are there any last, like, I don't know, w- words of wisdom to those folks starting out in their kitchen, no matter what their their age or circumstance? Just to keep at it. And, and the, the kitchen's such an evolving place relationship. Like, it's an evolving relationship, and you don't have to always have the same relationship with it. So keep it in your considerations as a place to return to um, when it makes more sense or when life is changing. And, and there's lots of little ways to, to, to return uh, without feeling pressured. Kate, thank you so much. Thanks for talking Thank with me you. today. Thank you. And, and safe travels to you and, and many good things ahead um, to come. And same to you. Thank you again. I've, I've really enjoyed the show. Oh, thanks, Kate. Stay on, stay on the line and we'll say a goodbye off air as okay. well. Um, so thanks, everyone, for listening to Living Writers um, today on the program. Um, you've been listening to Kate Payne, um, The Hip Girl's Guide to the Kitchen, a hit-the-ground running approach to stocking up and cooking delicious, nutritious, and affordable meals. Um, hi to Chloe, Lewis, and Sally. Many thanks to the Liz for engineering. Um, thanks to all you out there for listening. Get out 
into the kitchen. Um, don't give up. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Liberty, justice, equality. Maybe in the 21st century. I'm having the same problem. I burn the flag for you, baby. My God, what's that? I've never heard anything like it. That's right, folks. This is WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and it's six o'clock on a Wednesday evening. That means it's time for the drive time polka party. My name is Detective Dan. I will be your host for the next hour. At seven, we've got Beat the Beazor coming up, and later tonight, it's the local music show at nine. Probably no polka on there, but we've got all your polkas, your your obricks, your waltzes, right here. So the question we're gonna we're gonna ask right now is who's gonna dance the polka? Dick Pillar is gonna is gonna ask this question for us, and it's really that's really the question. Are you just gonna sit there in your chair, in the driver's seat of your car, and let your feet move like that? Or are you gonna get out of the car and you're gonna dance to these polkas? Ah! 